Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Welcome to episode 542 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. I'm Todd, joined with my co-host Joe. How are we doing today, Joe? I'm doing well. Um, so I have to, I had to order new earbuds. I don't right. get like the wireless ones, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't use earbuds for this. I know there are people for the podcast. I know there are people that record these podcasts without headphones on, like savages. Right. But if I don't have headphones on, then, like, your audio bleeds through. It's all weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved the microphone. I had it, like, a little bit off to my right a little bit. Mm-hmm. But now I have it directly in front of me again. Anywho, earbuds, I had to order new ones because my desk that I have here uh, that I do all my work in and my podcasting on, it has one of those gimmicks where you could, like, the keyboard is on, like, a little slidey tray. Right. Slide it in, slide it out. Well, it's metal on the side. And then there's a part of like metal there, and sometimes the cord for the uh, earbuds get caught in there. And there was too much bare exposed wire on my earbuds. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm like, okay, it's time to order a new pair. I did actually have to order a new hair, pair of these headphones uh, a couple months ago for the very same reason. So now I'm a little bit more conscious here with the uh, wire for these headphones. Mm-hmm. And I have to learn my lesson with the uh, wire for my earbuds. So that's what's going on in my life. The excitement. I gotcha. How did Joe Sposto die? We're not sure. It was either electrocuted from the frayed earbud wires or from the shock of opening up that package and getting the thing that he wasn't expecting. It's one or the other. That happens. It was close. Right. So there you go. But uh, so you want to know what's on the show this week, Todd? I think I can do this. Uh, I'm not rusty at all. Here we go. In uh, news, we have delays in comics and cha- name changes in comics. Also, a super team outkicks their coverage and gets... Is there something better than an A-lister, Joe, to join the team? I don't know. Um, also, 1997 and 1989 are making a big comeback at DC. And also, DC Comics? For the people? By the people? We'll see. Also, the return of the fan favorite segment, The Rob Watch. Free digital books and sales. What we read last week, which was King in Black, Thunderbolts number two. And DC, Love is a Battlefield. I won't try to sing that. Um, What we're looking forward to this week, Todd and Joe have issues. Todd's art attack. And spoiler-filled talk of the latest episode of WandaVision to end the episode. And even more crazy theories? Oh, yes. Even more. All right. So uh, you mentioned delays. And we can kind of like, let's. so let's hit Marvel first, right? Okay. And as you know, this is something that I hate. And it doesn't look to be too, too bad of an instance, right? Right. Um, until the very end. But it would not be a Marvel crossover event if something <laughs> wasn't late. Right. Um, and the final issue of King in Black is now two weeks late. Um, obviously, I'm sure that guy who bought all the art ish, all all the art pages from that is uh, happy that he has two extra weeks to save his shekels. Right, and the art will look even better because it takes two weeks longer to make. 
That's right. Hopefully, next... uh, Ryan Stegman doesn't have a sore throat when he's writing or drawing those pages. Right. Or a bad foot. Or a bad. Who had the bad foot? I want to say, what was it, Keon? Oh, well, there's stuff about Keon that I learned recently. Right, but yes. I know McNiven, when he was doing Civil War, had he had bronchitis or strep throat. That's what it was. Well, you'll have to ask when you go to our retailers. One of them had a had a bad ankle that that was like, and it was like a bad ankle, like you could sit at them. But I guess his leg had to be elevated, and that's not that's not e- easy to draw in that position. So, but I forget who it was. Uh, so I will, and then it's delaying a few things, of course, most notably uh, Venom thirty five slash two hundred which is Donny Cates' swan song on the Venom stuff. So that makes sense. It's not making a whole bunch of things late, but, you know, invariably it happens. One day I'm going to look into this and see if and when there has ever been a Marvel event in the modern age uh, that has not had delays. Not since Shooters watched, Joe. <laughs> no, no. Right. No, I'm I'm with you. But it is going to make Fantastic Four King and Black late, the the tie-in. So, and Dan Slott's going, you know what? Maybe maybe it wasn't me this time. <laughs> and not that it matters, um, but uh, related to this, but unrelated, is uh, the Joe Kelly nonstop Spider-Man. Right. That what was is- originally supposed to come out over the summer of 2020. Then it was supposed to come out in January. Then it was supposed to come out the first week of March. Has now been moved to the second week of March. Right. Unrelated to this, but that's a book that I've been waiting for. I like Joe Kelly. I like Spider-Man. Right. And it's art by Dale Eaglesham, of all people. You know what I mean? Like that's your that's your problem right there. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah, Eaglesham was what was laid on those suicide the set the new fifty two Suicide Squads. He was laid on um, Shazam. A lot of those now. Granted, let's just put it this way: I, I understand Jeff Johns was a part of that too with Stars and Stripes, but Eaglesham cannot make a deadline. He's as slow as you know a, a slow moving block ice. He's not good. I mean, great artist, but can't hit deadlines. Dale Eaglesham reminds me of a young Bruno Sammartino. That's right. All right. So that's that. Um, Now, this is a discussion, of course, that we have to talk about. Usually every quarter, usually at the beginning of the year, um, you and I and other listeners of this show will make hard cuts to their pull list, right? Mm -hmm. Books that just aren't grooving, books that maybe eh, the, the creator's only on this until issue 12. I'll ride it out until issue 12 and we'll see what happens from there. And sadly, one of those books was Guardians of the Galaxy. I like Guardians of the Galaxy. I like Al Ewing. But the book just wasn't clicking for me, right? Right. I love Guardians of the Galaxy as a concept. Usually, it's, you know, I'll give any creative team out of the try. I hung with it for a bit. Just wasn't doing it for me. I dropped it. It's off the, it's off the list, right? Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> they must have heard that you were thinking about it, Todd. I was. I was going to drop it at a certain place, but... Uh, so they unveiled a bunch of like the, the new team and the new team apparently is like 40 people. Right. And one of those 40 people is Dr. Doom of all people. Sold. <laughs> I'm sold. 
I'm looking forward to this. You know why they need 40 people? Because they need somebody, they need 39 other people to equal what Doom's going to do in this book. I can't wait. I don't care. I think Doom, I, I, I might be a little biased. Doom adds gravitas to any book that he's in. And I'm going to love to try and see any any of those other 39 people try to pull the leader card while Doom's on that team. Well, I, there are. There's at least two. From looking at the uh, promotional art, that's, there's at least two cosmic powered people on the team. Right. So if they, st- if they pool their resources, maybe. Right, and then when he's st- he's just there to steal their cosmic powers. Joe. Right. So, oh, please steal their cosmic powers. What team has the most cosmic powered people on it that I could steal those powers from? Remember. Remember my favorite quote in I believe it's two comics that they've that they've done is uh, definitely one of them was Axis when they did Axis and I forget it was one of the old one it might have been one of the Infinity ones it's just like in the middle of battle someone will just stop and go has anyone seen Doom <laughs> and that's when you know he's like I got cover here I'm gonna go do what I'm like I was here to help let you peons think i was here to help now i'm i'm my eyes on the prize and that's what's going to happen in this book is just going to be like blah 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 finally we're gonna we're gonna stop this and take the all-powerful thing away from him right doom doom and there he is like just with his the mr burns hands together looking at whatever it is oh god i love dr Doom. so is he gonna get one of those fancy garden the guardians of the galaxy themed like uniform outfits to wear as well I have a feeling like he'll put like a like a the John Cena symbol on his belt buckle. That's about it. Mm-hmm. Just out of solidarity, he's like, since I'm the leader, I better wear one to show <laughs> you people how it's done. So Marvel making moves, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, DC doing stuff as well. Uh, something coming out: the new Tom Taylor Batman book which was originally titled Batman The Dark Knight, has been retitled Batman The Detective. Right. Um, Maybe not to be confused with them doing a new digital first Legends of the Dark Knight, possibly. Possibly. Um, You know, so it's it's difficult to see uh, or say why this happened. It is a miniseries, as we had discussed before. Um... But yeah, I don't know. Um, I, th- I think it maybe... Seems, it seems sometimes the folks at DC don't know what everyone else at DC is doing, you know? I agree. And who knows, maybe they have another... Didn't they have, like, another Frank Miller, uh, Azarello, whatever, like, Dark Knight Returns mini coming out down the line? Maybe they just want anything with the Dark Knight to be certain-themed, if that makes sense. You know, I don't know. DC, like you said, doesn't know one end from the other sometimes. Uh, and we'll, you know, we'll yep. we'll get into you know more stuff over at DC here as well. Um, they speaking of digital first uh, sort of things, they just announced, I guess, uh, based off of it was from a couple years ago uh, by Jeff Parker, the Batman sixty six, where it was like stories that looked and felt like the Batman TV show. Right. Well, they just announced today that they're doing at least digital first, and who knows if they're going to be. Uh, but, but, but it's going to be over the summer and then it's going to be printed um, 
so it's beginning of the summer, digital, end of the summer, printed, and then end of October for hardcover collections, allegedly, allegedly, uh, of Superman 78 for the feel of the Donner films and Batman 89 for the feel of the Tim Burton films. Uh, now, on the uh, Batman 89, they have Sam Hamm uh, on as the writer who was the co-writer of that movie. So, uh, you know, getting no, some uh, folks. And then, surprisingly, uh, Jeff John's not on Superman 78. That's right. Um, that That's actually surprising. Yes. Um, my thing is, now I'm mad at myself because I said 77 and 89 when uh, we started the show because I had Star Wars on the brain. I'm but, not going to uh, fix it. Right, um, but I'm actually shocked. I'm actually shocked. Did they actually do a Wonder Woman project with Linda Carter f- f- at one point? I could have swore they did one of those because I'm shocked that they haven't done a, a bunch of other ones. You know what I mean? Like get around like. And I saw today on Twitter that uh, like creators were lining up. They're like, "Give me the '90s Flash, and I'll take you know the '70 early '70s Shazam and stuff like that." You could do a whole like book a team up and. That would be, I would love that. Um, I'm right. So I'm surprised they don't do it more. Mm-hmm. I do remember there being art at least, maybe a variant cover at the very least of a Linda Carter looking Wonder Woman, but I don't think they did like a full series of it. Right. At least not something like branded like this, where like Wonder Woman and whatever the year the TV show came out, you know? Right. But. I- I would assume if they were going to do anything, that's the next one after this. Right. I, I, I'm shocked that the Linda Carter one wasn't almost first with the Wonder Woman movie coming up, be coming out already. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that would have led into it. Uh, I don't know. That's, I'm actually shocked on that, but I'm intrigued by these. I'm interested by these. It's not like must buy first day have sort of thing, but you know, if these are coming out in print and, August, you know, I could wait six months. Oh, you know what it was? I just looked it up. There was a Wonder Woman 77 meets the Bionic Woman comic. There Was that through Dynamite, maybe? I believe so. That might have been what threw me off. Yeah. So, sorry, I had to look that up. That was bothering me. No, that's okay. Listen, uh, it wasn't very obvious what you were doing, you know? Oh, good. Uh, so, last bit, of course... <laughs> Uh, so again, this is rumor and innuendo, but I saw a lot of creators talking about this. You talked about that announcement of the Superman 78 of the Batman 89 coming out and a bunch of creators saying, give me this, give me that, give me this. Mm-hmm. Um, we've discussed here before DC possibly reducing their uh, physical print publication footprint. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing official in regards to that. Um, but this rumor is DC possibly selling off bits and pieces of their IP to other publishers, to people, to fans, to anyone who has money. Mm. When did an IP become a business? Yeah. So this, you know, obviously this is a very slippery slope i think and i think you know obviously rumor and innuendo whatever it is but i saw tons of creators talking about it so Mm -hmm. i feel this is a bad idea okay um 
I don't, obviously, there's certain properties DC ain't selling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they ain't selling Batman. They ain't selling anyone related to Batman. They ain't selling Superman. They ain't selling anyone related to Superman. They ain't selling any Justice League people. So now you're cutting out so much stuff, right? Right. So you're going to get, okay, so the, 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 the first thing is you make this deal with DC to publish, and I'm just going to throw someone out. Okay, let's say Ambush Bug, right? Right. Let's say a bunch of people decide we're going to pool our money together, we're going to buy Ambush Bug, and we're going to give it to Salty Keith for him to do whatever he wants with it, right? Right. So you need to go through litanies of lawyers. Um, you need to go through so much to get that piece of IP, which, listen, in the grand scheme of things, you're an Ambush Bug fan. I'm an Ambush Bug fan. But there ain't a ton of Ambush Bug fans out there, right? Okay. So let's say we do get that capital together. Now we need more capital to actually publish this thing or print this thing or make a movie out of this thing or make a TV show or a web series or whatever it is. I'm afraid that there's going to be a bunch of venture-type capitalist folks that are just going to eat up a bunch of these smaller properties and just completely cannibalize DC. See, I'm of the mind um, that that's not the way they're doing it. They're getting everybody if they do it, Joe. Okay. They're buying it as... They're buying the rights to publish the comics. This is the way I read all the articles that I read. Maybe you read them different. That it's like, okay, we have this. We buy the rights to publishing. You keep the rights to... Um, any other property, like any other ways, like you want to option them for movies. These are all your rights, but we get to play in your universe. So they'll do Batman comics. They'll do Superman comics. They'll do flash comics and they'll take that out of the hands of, of AT and T. And that gives them free range to just either cannibalize their back catalog for stories for the movies and TV shows or to do the new stuff. And if that's the way it's taken, I am of split mind on this i think it's good for if that would happen then it wouldn't be like as we're watching it it's like okay in a year and a half ago suicide squad you know they had this idea for it and you could see where it's going for the jimmy pistol movie or anything that they're lining up in a row to get it because they have to have the synergy down the line um i think that would be good to to un you know handcuff writers but sometimes fans are their own worst enemies and it becomes fan fiction. So I don't know. That's the way I'm looking at it. Maybe you're right that they would piecemeal it out. But I think if you're, if you have that much money and you're going to piecemeal these characters out, it's just not going to, you, the universe or nothing. That's the way Marvel and DC works. Independent okay. stuff is completely different. See, cause I think a lot of it, I was getting thrown by, creators saying like oh man i'd love to get lobo or i'd love to get this or i'd love to get that mm -hmm. so i was just thinking that it was folks grabbing individual pieces but it's like an all or nothing sort of thing right okay that being said could it really be any worse i mean there's not a lot of great at dc so you know can only go up as far as I'm concerned. I look at it unless they are in their own, uh, you know, in their own heads so much as a fan that they just write to them to themselves. 
I think this would work. And if they were smart, they would get the people who like, you know what? Get Mark Wade to write Superman. You know what I mean? Or get Jimmy Palmiotti to write something because AT&T doing what they're doing is they're I mean, it's a fact. I've seen Jimmy Palmiotti tweet about it. It's he's like, if you get rid of all the guys because they pay, they make money, who may, who know what they're doing, you're gonna have people in there. Yeah, you're gonna get one or two stars, but you're gonna have people not knowing what they're doing. So if these people can afford the great writers who did great stories on DC and not be worried about the bottom line, and I don't, I mean, everybody's worried about the bottom line every time. But AT and T with buying all that, that like HBO, like all the stuff that they did, they're really worried about the bottom line, and that that hurts. So get some talent in there and and go, and I think it would be a shot in the arm for DC Comics. You make a good point. Mm-hmm. So we'll sh- we'll see where this one goes. Again, just a lot of rumor and innuendo at this point. Nothing uh, set in stone, if you will. Ask not for whom the Rob trolls. The Rob trolls for thee. And now, the Rob Watch. One last bit of business, of course, as you just heard. It's the return of the Rob Watch. But to talk about the Rob Watch, Todd, we first need to discuss something that's outside of comics. We need to cast a very wide net and then pull that net in. And that is collecting is back. Coming from two people, mostly me, uh, who have been obsessed over the last year (laughs) plus in regards to getting those issues of previews for the Patreon show. Um, Collecting is back. Uh, Obviously, a lot of people have a lot of time indoors over the last 12 months. It's been 12 months um, and they're bored, whether they're collecting toys or whatever. Right. So one of the things that has become hot over the last, let's say, two to three months has been cards, trading cards, sports cards. Right. Right. And, you know, you'll see people who do these things called breaks online. And I just want to kind of just throw that out there where I'm going to buy a box of X. Right. And this box costs $1,000, and there's 36 packs in there, so that figures out to be whatever the math is on that. Everybody pays in their share. Everybody picks a number, 1 through 36. Whatever's in that pack, you get. Now, you may get a dud, or you may get, like, the autographed card, which is hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Hundreds of thousands? Depending on who you get that autograph of. Okay. You know, you get a Kobe or a Kobe Bryant. You get, like... um. LeBron James autograph, that's going to sell for more than Joe Schmo off of some other NBA team, right? Right. So, you know, and that's just a, an example. And then the people are like, oh, well, my thing is any team I get. You know, I pick, you know, we pick the team and so on and so forth. But another aspect as we whittle this down is rookie cards or hot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was a time when I was into sports, mostly baseball, <laughs> and I could tell you – you know, this, you know, the Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card from the 1987 Don Russ set, right? Mm-hmm. So people are going to get that Don Russ wax pack. There's a chance of the Ken Griffey rookie card in there. I know that sells for X. So people's rookie cards are going up. Wrestling rookie cards are going up for some reason. <sighs> like, okay. So this is how sick it gets, Todd. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there was a WWF trivia game in 1996 that came out. And each card in the trivia game was a trading card of a certain professional wrestler. 
Well, this 1996 trading card set had The Rock's rookie card in it. People are buying that set, that that trivia card set, for $700 to $1,000 because The Rock's rookie card is in that set. The Rock just having a TV show debuting on network TV today, Young Rock, whatever. Mm -hmm. So where does this all come back to comics, Todd? How? The Rob Watch. Oh, my goodness. X-Force number one, Todd. It came polybagged with one of five different cards. And one of those cards is Deadpool's rookie card. (gasps) Oh, my God. And there's so few of them out there. Okay, and there's so few of them out there, Todd. If there's so few of them out there, why are they selling online for $75 to $100 a clip? Because people are stupid? Okay, that could be the reason, but I will say the Rob certainly is stoking the fires of this. No, not him. I know that seems out of the Rob's playbook. (sighs) So out of character. The Rob is not our centuries or our decades or our generation's Stan Lee. Hmm. Uh, but every time someone tweets at him, it's like, I just sold a copy of X-Force 1 polybag with a Deadpool card in it for 100 bucks. The Rob qu- quote tweets it with his three fists, you know? <sighs> so... There was a time where these comics came out that we're not to yet in previewing the past. <laughs> that was the cusp of the bubble bursting. And every collecting thing has peaks and valleys and the bubble bursts. And then sometimes the bubble reforms and builds itself back up. Todd and I were talking off mic about Pokemon cards, right? Mm-hmm. Old Pokemon cards are hot, but new Pokemon cards are hot too. Um, on one hand, I'm sad that my kid doesn't like to play the Pokemon card games anymore, but I'm happy that he doesn't because the sets go so quick and then get flipped on the secondary market for two to three times their worth. To heck with the kids, Joe. Right. So it's because, and it's because of the Pokemon anniversary this year. It's 30 years or 25 years or whatever, whatever it is a Pokemon, let's say 25 years. Okay. Right. Because if it was 30, we would have saw them in the previous. Right. So it's 25 years of Pokemon. <laughs> Um, so it's the anniversary, they've been building up to it, and like I said, the last two sets and the one that just the one that's coming out next month, it's like, they're already sold out at a retailer level, a month ahead of time. And it's, I'm afraid that these people that are so focused on the cards, that are in this for an investment, are going to see this bubble burst sooner than later. And the fact that someone like the Rob is encouraging this behavior, again, not out of character, but it's a bummer. But it's the first time he's ever been involved with the ballooning speculation market, Joe. The first time Uh, this year. Right. I just look at it as, now, this this news, like when you sent it to me, wasn't, I had just found out that rookie cards, and not rookie cards, but that old card sets were becoming hot again, and I didn't know why. Only right, like, and I was going to mention, wax boxes of the Marvel trading card sets are right. selling for like four hundred, four five hundred dollars $500 a clip. Right. Where a year ago, you could have bought 
a full box unopened for 20 bucks. Right. Look, hopefully that doesn't happen with previews. But um, <laughs> till well, we're no. done. So till we got got them all. Hope that, it does. Right. Well, in a, a lot of them. Let me let me get a few more, and then the the bubble can start inflating on that one. But I look at it as I was like, "Why? Oh, okay, is it the collection market?" And then now you're telling me about this rookie aspect, which is absolutely ridiculous on that end, um, because it's like, "Oh, well, your rookie appearance is you know Hulk one eighty one, first appearance of Wolverine, blah blah blah." I just I'm like, now you want cards, but they're not rare card it just seems that all this market stuff is what is the next thing we can make rare do you know what i mean right. like what's the next thing that like we can make hot and peek apart and, and i'm just like i'm t- it actually wears me down as a collector every month because it's like as a collector i'm like if i want something now I'm not saying i want those cards because they're hot now but it's like oh i have sets of stuff and it's like oh maybe if I want anything in the future, it seems like I have to buy everything I want now because if I don't, it may be ten thousand dollars in a month, right. and that that just gets old fast for me. And that's why you know, obviously, and I get what you're saying, of course, is and you and I are more or less kind of past any sort of like really back order completionist, right? We, for the most part, I would say that we've completed any sort of back issues that we need, um, years ago. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, there's every once in a while I'll see like something like like as I only really complete Jonah Hex. I'm like, oh, there was a that I didn't know that they gave away a free comic like of the first Palmiati and Gray issue. There's a different version of that with cover. I'll try and find that, but for the most part, I'm I'm up to date on everything I want. But go ahead, sorry. Right, and like even me for the most part, like I I'm getting rid of more than what I'm picking up on old stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And the day there was a day where I toyed with, and the day may come again where I'd love to have a full run of Amazing Spider-Man. Right. Good luck with that. Because... Okay, and good luck with that. And that's and that's something that was difficult to do twenty five years ago, and it's difficult to do today. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't gotten, and it really hasn't gotten any more difficult. But there have been peaks and valleys with it, and any of those real key issues outside of like the Silver Age or the the Silver Age stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But you know your modern era, you know eighties, not seventies, eighties, nineties stuff. I have that's worth money. I got them way long time ago, or I got them at cover price when they came out. Right. So it's not like I'm kicking myself like, oh, and they're doing the Carnage is going to appear in the next Venom movie. I better go buy Carnage's first appearance. But is Carnage's first appearance this issue of Amazing Spider-Man where he's on the cover? Is it the issue where he appears in the last panel of the pa- the issue before? Or is it the issue two years ago where the symbiote gets dropped off in the jail cell? Like, what's his real first appearance? Well, I better get them all. Now everybody right. else is trying to get them all. I'm still trying to figure out where the first Scarlet Spider costume appears. Well, again, that's nebulous as well. Right. But it just, yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm glad I'm not of that collector mentality where I need those things. Right. Uh, something pops up every once in a while that I want, but like, and I'm hope or will come into my purview and I'll be like, all right, I have to go grab that. And I buy it. And you see me tweet that I bought it or whatever. But like those days of like com- completing over the last big thing that I was going to try and do 
was due. I was like, I knew I would never get all the FF appearances, like back to one. Mm-hmm. But I had five and six, which were the first two appearances of Doom and the annual, um, which is his first origin story. I was like, let me see if I can do all just the Doom appearances, just in FF. And like, then they started creeping up when Marvel bought the FF properties back. And I was like, ah, I'm done. That's not my next project. I'll do something else. I don't know. So Right. Yeah. And we've talked about it the last couple after darks, if you listen. And if you're a patron, of course, you know, pa- previewing the past. And I joke and I say that I have a sickness. And it's not really a sickness regarding the previews. It's not like I want these previews because I know they're going to be worth money. Because the March 1992 one is the real first appearance of Spawn. <laughs> but enough people out there think that that is the first appearance of Spawn. So it makes me, someone who's attempting to just do it for my podcast, it makes it more difficult for me to do my podcast. So we try to scoop up whatever we can get just before something may happen. Right. And it's not like my intent isn't like, oh, well, I better get this issue of previews that has John Byrne's Next Men on the cover because what if John Byrne's Next Men is the next hot property in Hollywood? I... Once once we do the episode of the podcast about it, it don't matter. Right. Somewhere down the line, we'll be getting rid of these because we don't want them cluttering up our house. Yeah. I get you. How soon, Todd, until your collection owns you? It already does. Right. It literally does. Like that whole Fight Club. Joe, have you ever seen Fight Club? I've heard of this movie. Okay, um, but like that's a great line is the things you own end up owning you. And I've moved into one little section of the house where my collection hasn't taken over. It's it's the symbiote now. It literally is. Is that the first appearance of the symbiote? Yes, Todd's collection symbiote is this is the first appearance right here in episode five. 42 is i believe so download this episode press it onto vinyl that's right don't cut the stamp out because you'll ruin the 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 episode right if you can get the one that has the captain america upc as opposed to an actual upc that one's worth more for some reason yes don't forget that when they did those test covers with the different logos up in the in the box that that could happen here oh my god all the stuff that makes a comic crazy i don't know So, moving off of this, if you want to hear more discussion like this, or (laughs) more discussion that's not like this at all, check out (laughs) soon-to-be-named-network.com or soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com, where all of our friends, like-minded individuals, share the network. Anytime their podcasts go live, they show up over at soon-to-be-named-network.com, soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com, of course, this show. Longbox Heroes After Dark, Final Wrestling Place, Wednesday Night War, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, and At Odds with Wrestling. They all are there off of their own individual feeds. And if any of the folks from these shows appear on any other shows, those also appear at soon-to-be-named-network.com. This week, I'm going to be recording an episode of Five Star Match Game where I'm going to be testing my knowledge against a very weak spot in my wrestling knowledge-dom. I don't know when it's going to get released, but I'm recording it this week, so we'll see how that goes. You can find it, Five Star Match Game, 
Or you can find it at soon-to-be-named-network.com when it goes live. I want to be on Five Star Match Game to test my wrestling knowledge, Joe. Very, uh, very specifically on 20 shows from 1992 to 2005. Hit me with some of that Mean Street Posse trivia. I'm sure the Mean Street Posse were on a No Way Out, right. possibly in a hardcore battle royal or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, check out friends of ours that do creative stuff. Jason Sandberg's Jupiter, Chris Rudd's Battle Monsters. Both of those are available over at Comixology. Uh, Rick Williams, The Chop Shop, all the cool resin stuff that he does is available there. Check out Comics on the Green. Not only does he do a brisk mail order business, of the back catalog, but he also does a mail order subscription business. If you don't have a comic book store in your area or a good comic book store in your area, contact Dave. The link is in the show notes, and you might even see some fancy art from our friend Becky, who does stuff at the shop, for the shop, and around the shop. Mm -hmm. Uh, Neither one were implicated in the uh, destruction of the uh, Mandalorian ice sculpture. There were no witnesses. Well, I, I had it stooged off to me who did it, so. Right. Was it Max? Was Did Max tell you? Yeah, let's say, well, I was going to say, did Max tell me? No, because dogs don't talk to me. But let's say that it was Max, the dog, who did it. Right. It was it was Max before he went back to his home planet. Yes. <laughs> uh, digital books and sales, of course, also included here in the show notes. A ton going on. Um, some of the holdovers from last week, uh, that Best of Image 2020 sale the valiant sale um the black panther sale the miles morales sale um dc has their dc start here sale which is like a bunch of first trades of a bunch of stuff um is dark knight returns and batman year one in this Hmm. uh are they is that why tom taylor had to change the name of his book maybe so not to screw up the sales algorithms it does not appear as though either one are in this. Mm-hmm. Which is, again, someone should be fired over this. <laughs> uh, some of the other sales, of course, Marvel having a sale on X-Men Legends and War of the Kings stuff. Uh, Dark Horse having sales on Hellboy-related stuff and Hellboy himself. Uh, Dynamite also having a sale on creator-owned stuff, select omnibuses, and select number ones. Uh, IDW is having a sale on Transformers stuff, and Image is having a sale on romance books, which, uh, outside of, uh, Sex Criminals is a blind spot for me of what, uh, Image romance books are. Um, they're counting the Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, uh, My Heroes Have All Been Junkies as part of the sale. Well, there was some lovers in that book. Uh, so, hey, you can get that for $5.50. So, uh, (laughs) that's really good. Go check that out. You know what book should be under the lover's banner at Image Show? Huh. Saga. I was going to say, Saga should be, Saga is not. Well, that's coming back any day there. We're waiting for that. It was teased. It was teased. Mm. So let's get into what we read from this past week. Sadly, not (laughs) a lot of crossover. Uh, Where would you, Todd, like to begin? I'm going to start really quick with DC's Love is a Battlefield, um, which is a giant 80-page special for, I believe, $9.99 with various different creators. There was a lot of uh, duds in this, but I will say, and you'll notice when I say the creators, like three kind of really like uh, 
well, two definitely stood out to me, and you'll know the names. One, there was a Batman and Catwoman story called Perfect Matches, where Catwoman has to infiltrate a party of Maxi Zeus's on a boat. So she brings a date along, um, Matches Malone. So it was fun to see Batman cut loose as Matches with Catwoman. Mm-hmm. So that was a fun little story, because it's like he gets to do like gets to be cocky and and witty as matches and you're like i'm okay with it you know what i mean so that was kind of fun then there was a harley quinn and poison poison ivy story by tim seeley that i thought was was really good um the the other one that was really good but was awkward was there was a uh perry white amanda waller story by mark russell and it was basically Perry White doing an interview with, well, trying to get an interview with Amanda Waller, and they end up like playing the word game with each other, trying to get each other to, to like give up what they're looking for or whatever. It turns really weird into almost a date at some point, which I honestly think Mark Russell just changed the story to make it a Valentine story. This was going to be like just a a cat and mouse game between the two of them, but it was fun to see those two characters interact. And then there was a Sergeant Rock story uh, by an art, by a writer I've never heard before. It was Pornsock Pasachiot. I have no idea how to say that name. And the artist was Chris uh, Mooneyham, which was beautiful. And that was actually my favorite story of the thing. It was about love in, in World War II, and it's not quite what you think it was. It was a beautiful looking story and an actual a heart, a touching story, but everything else was just filler to downright stupid, which is what you get in these nine 99 holiday specials. But Joe, I'm a sucker for them. You are correct. That I'm a sucker for them. Yes. Right. So you said there was a Mark Russell one. What was the Mark Russell one? It was an Amanda Waller, uh, Perry white story. Let's okay. See if I can find the name because I have it all here. Uh, it was called Loose Lips. And then what was the, <laughs> you said? Pistachio Disguisey was one of the. <laughs> yes, it was Pistachio Disguisey. Was it's P O R N S A K Porn Sack P I C H E T S H O T E. However you would say that name, go to town. Okay. I'm not going to say that name. I'm going to leave right. that to you. In the old uh, joke from Terry Pratchett in one of his books, it was like, how do you spell insert hard word? And the guy would always say, yeah, it's easy. I don't. I don't spell that word. It's, right. You know, find another one. So the other book uh, from last week they were both looking forward to, uh, Todd was nice enough to read as well. Um, Thunderbolts, King and uh, King and Black, number two. Um King and Black, Thunderbolts number two. Either way, um, always Thunderbolts has kind of been co-opted here from its original thoughts of the Citizen V team to pose as whatever. And now in the Marvel Universe, Thunderbolts are just kind of used to um, be like, anytime the villains are put together to do some sort of team, they're called the Thunderbolts, right? Makes sense. Uh, written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Juan Freya. Uh So we still don't know why just yet. However, the Kingpin, who is still, um, you know, to the public, the baby face mayor of New York. Right. But still doing all Kingpinny things. Gets this makeshift team together, uh, which is like Mr. Fear, uh, 
the Rhino Star, who is a uh, Captain Marvel villain and Taskmaster, Taskmaster right? right. Um, to break Norman Osborn out of Ravencroft. Mm-hmm. And when they find Re- Norman Osborn, he's like all normal like. He's not all crazy Norman like. So they're all very concerned about this, but they contact uh, Kingpin about this. There's an escape. They suggest like, hey, you know, we're already baddies. Let's re- let's recruit some of the other baddies that are here. Too late. They all get nullified. And then we find out what the real point of their mission is, which does tie into one of the earlier issues of the main King and Black miniseries. Uh, I like this just fine. I wanted to point out to you, Todd, I don't know if you have the book there in front of you. Uh, page two, maybe? I don't have the book right in front of me, but go ahead. So there's the part where they uh, Skype him a phone into uh, Wilson Fisk. Right. To tell him what's going on. And uh, Wilson Fisk asks Mr. Fear, is Taskmaster dead? Taskmaster says no. He says, good. Hit Mr. Fear. And he says, yes, boss. And there's a panel that very much looks to me like the infamous one-punch scene from Justice League. Right. I, I remember it from what I read. And that's a fun homage. Um, but yeah, like I said, um, it was a light week for books. I like the Thunderbolts concept, even though it's not uh, you know, what it was back in 1997. It still holds a special place in my heart. Okay. I'm going to tell you what I thought. was. I really like this book because it was just goofy fun. Yeah. Completely goofy. So I, I actually read the first issue. So I kind of understood what was going on. And I do like, like, the team right out of the gate. It's Suicide Squad-esque. Like, they're losing members. The Rhino's like, I'm out of here. Like, try and stop me. And I'm like, all right, this, this is all fun. And then they go, they go, and where the book loses steam, Joe, are you ready? Yeah. Is when they get to Ravencroft. I'm like, okay, I know who they're going to get. They say there's somebody at Ravencroft that they need who could stop, who has the plan to stop Noel. And I, in my mind, I was like, what could stop Noel? No, whips that are wild. And I'm like, how is the villain they didn't went to pick up not wild whip, Joe? <laughs> That's where what he's at. He's at Ravencroft. We know that from 25 years ago of the clone saga. And he's only had one other appearance in there as a cameo. Just opportunity missed, Joe, to bring back the greatest Spider-Man villain, deepest rogues bench ever, Wild Whip. If only there was a way, as we had speculated, and I possibly wrongly speculated, where you can buy people piecemeal from DC. Mm -hmm. I want the rights to Wild Whip. He's a fresh canvas. That's right. Unsullied by crossovers or reboots or cinematic universes. Or buyouts. Exactly. He's as as fresh as the day he was created. That's right. Some would say even more fresh, Todd. Mm, No stank on him. (laughs) Uh, All right. Uh, So, again, it's fun. Uh, You know, I'm not reading a ton of King and Black crossover stuff. Um, and you can tell it's not important because it's not being delayed by the lateness of the main book. Right. Um, I don't know. Give it a, give it a try if you like fun, goofy, you know, Suicide Squad-esque villainy in the Marvel Universe. Right. So that's what we read from this past week. Let's get over to what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, if you head over to longboxheroes.com every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, 
We put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week, whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you wait for those digital books to go into print in single issues and then wait for those single issues to be collected into a hardcover. Be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I are currently tied up at five correct guesses each. Let's see who's looking forward to what this week. Right. So I'm looking over your list, and I'm pretty sure Immortal Hulk, Hulk Flatline number one, isn't an Al Ewing book. It is not an Al Ewing. Uh, So Declan Shelby, I believe? I think he's doing the, uh, he is the writer and the artist, yes. Okay. So I'm going to scratch that off. Is the book you're looking forward to most King in Black number four? It is King in Black number four. And looking at your list, um, I think the book that you were most looking forward to coming out this week is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin 2. It is, though I'm going to call it TMNT because I don't want to say all those words. But yes, it is. I had a feeling when I saw that book that was super late finally coming out. That's right. It's late because of King in Black. Oh, it's a tie-in. Yes, yeah, somehow uh, the the symbiotes killed the other three turtles. That reminds me, I have to do something with that. So that's neither here nor there. You have to kill some turtles? No, no, I got to grab the link to put it in the post. Okay, Shredder. <sighs> or Shredder's son or whatever it is in this. Yeah, that's right. He's an all-time Hall of Fame bad placer. <sighs> Not the guy who played Super Shredder, though. He's the patron saint of the Good Place Hall of Fame. Not if I get to vote on it. That's too late. He's already <laughs> grandfathered in. Oh, is he? Oh, yeah. Oh, supper shredder. <sighs> all right. So while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done together, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, and, of course, the returning Todd and Joe have issues where we are discussing, as mentioned, the... Uh, 2000, mid 2000s, uh, Jimmy Palmiotti, Justin Gray run on Jonah Hex. And we are also revisiting one of the most maligned comic book stories <laughs> of all time, which is the Spider Clone Saga. I have to be clear when I say right. what, what Clone Saga we're talking about. Yeah, we don't have the new issues yet. So uh, I'll pitch to you first. Okay. Um, so I, you know, get to go first with uh, Web of Spider-Man 120, I believe was the issue. Yeah. Um, which starts out with uh, Ben Riley as Scarlet Spider fighting Tombstone because he's robbing an armored car. You know, just classic, you know, Spider-Man villainy stuff. Um, he's still, you know, griping about being a copy. But I will admit, as he's getting into the adventure stuff now, like he's decided to stay in New York and, you know, get involved with this stuff, is he's quipping more. I do like that, that he's falling back into that Spider-Man mold that we all know and love. Um, so that's that's interesting to see. He ends up, you know, putting the kibosh on Tombstone uh, pretty quick. Um, while that's going on, uh, Ellis and Betty uh, Brant are in competition um, to to go and see them to see like to get the stories on uh, Ben Riley, uh, the Grim Hunter is also throwing knives at posters because he's super angry at uh, you know the spider for what he did to his father, and you know it's around this time, Joe, that I'm starting to get uh, just how bad uh, Grim Hunter's costume is. Oh my God, that chest plate! Oh. <laughs> 
is so god awful. And he has like these, I forget if it's this issue because my notes are all mixed up, where uh, he has like these little claws on the bottom of his shoes that make no sense. Like, how does he walk with those? Uh, they help him climb. They help him do his hay work that ignites immediately into... Fl- anyway. Yeah, but what happens when he's walking on that new piece of concrete that's real slippery, and he has those claws? They don't stick in the concrete, Joe. So that's that makes me blah, blah, blah. So whatever. So uh, while this is going on, we jump to another bend, like, onto the next thing. He's fighting Ares. No, 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 not the... Not the, the the god, but this group of terrorists. And at this point, I think they may have shown with Ben before. I never knew because he has the impact webbing, which is new. But he has darts, too, that I completely forgot about because he's u- using those. Yeah, I think this is the first appearance of him using the web stingers. Right. So, like, he ends up doing that. Well, while that's going on... Um, uh, Kane, like Kane, he basically just makes fast work of these, uh, these, uh, these terrorists. Um, Kane is is at, I believe, the hospital of Aunt May, just like watching her now, and he's not sure who he is. He's ha- he's like he's all whacked up, and he's having these visions of uh, Mary Jane being killed, like in the future, and mm-hmm. that's like really crazy he's having these like he's sensing that that mary jane might be killed and he's like he can't figure out why so while that's going on she's also coming back from pittsburgh which at this point i'm starting to believe because that happens and ben mentions like you know I'm, i have all this happen to me in one day and ben and peter's probably off living his wonderful life with his supermodel wife and his brownstone and so that's when they show mj but they also show that at this point, because I don't know any better in this issue, Spider-Man's really sleepy on a roof. So they don't. We're, okay, any- I'll wait for you to. I'll wait for you to be done with this issue before I make my remarks regarding right. all of this. So um, at this point, uh, Ben Riley just knows that he hates the name uh, Scarlet Spider. Blah blah blah. So he goes to see uh, Betty um, to uh, like get to get some information and they have like some, some sparks. And also he's remembering her as somebody from his past. And they, he kind of had the hots for her at one point. Right, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. That was his first crush when he was just like a teenage boy at the daily bugle. Right. So he's like remembering her and there is something with, with her back at him. So that's interesting. And then he leaves, but grim hunter through all this has like followed the, the news clippings and like wherever he was. And now he has the, uh, he has the ability to follow Ben Stank and and go. So he's he ends up at Betty's place after uh, Ben has left to like, you know, to, to get information, like use her as bait at some point. So that's pretty much the whole issue that I can remember, as according to my notes. Okay, so um, as lame as okay, so the, last month and this month and I think the next month when these were being released. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like Webb and Ejectiveless Spider-Man of the Ben Riley stories, uh, amazing and spectacular are the Peter stories. And it was weekly, so it was like you get a Ben, you get a Peter, you get a Ben, you get a Peter story. And then like part one, part two, part one, part one, part two, part two, part, you know what I mean? Right. We're reading them just because, so it flows better for a narrative that we're reading all of the, the, the Ben stuff first, one and two here, three and four next week. 
Then we're going to backtrack just a little bit to read the concurrent issues of Peter's stuff, one and two, three and four, right? Okay. So um, some of the stuff with Peter and Mary Jane will be explained a little bit more when we read those in two and three weeks. This being said, as lame as a look and a concept as Grim Hunter is, mm-hmm. is I think as cool as a concept and a look that Kane is. Right, right. There's that one big splash page of him, you know? And I'm like, oh man, that like, that, like he looks super 90s, but in a good way. Right. If there's a way to do so. And I just want to touch on some of the stuff there. You mentioned he's having these visions of Mary Jane possibly being killed. And this is the uh, the dialogue that we see on the page where we see that awesome splash page of Kane, right? Mm-hmm. It says, his name is Kane. He no longer recalls if it is a title born or earned in blood, whether he was <laughs> christened himself or was named by another. He may have known once, but not anymore. All he knows now is tragedy of what has been. And then the visions, of course, and so forth. The visions are unbearable. Um, so uh, the visions are key. And uh, all, that's, all that talk of his name is key as well. Okay. That's all. Just throwing that out there. No, I gotcha. Right. So we go to Spider-Man 54. Um, and... Ben has now gone to see to yell at Jay or he has gone to uh, the 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 Daily Bugle and he runs into Jay Jonah Jameson and that was fun to see like Ben's take and and having banter with Jay Jonah so that was fun um, and then he goes home uh, and he runs or where he's living at the time and he runs into Gabriel again so they have a little back and forth that she was the one who took him to the hospital he's like oh my gut's fine after being ripped out and everything. Well, you know, and this is the issue where like a bunch of stuff just, just randomly happens. Like we're going to throw so much new stuff at you with Ben. Um, obviously we had met Gabriel, but then in this MJ goes to the doctor and she's not feeling good. She's, you know, waking up in the morning. She's feeling sick. I'm like, Oh, I wonder what could happen. Oh, I wonder. Right. So, um, uh, Kane is, you know, running around busting people up, doing his thing, and he's kind of following, uh, you know, uh, trying to follow Ben around. And his visions are getting even worse, and somehow they're affecting Ben Riley. He's, or it seems to be, from what I'm gathering from the comic, he, it seemed like when Kane's visions were affecting him, something was happening to Ben. So he ends up calling the person he mentioned, you know, a few issues ago. Uh, what's his name? Seward. Seward trainer, yes. Seward, I call him Seward. Um, uh, but Seward, Seward trainer. Um, and he's like, we find out that he was testing him because he's the clone. He's like, oh, I don't know if the degradation's popping in. You should have, you know, stayed here before all that's going on. Um, Raven, what about me? What about Raven? The the he comes to town because of the cane killings and stuff like that. And he's like, okay, this, this is my guy. Um, Ben goes to see Betty again. And Grim Hunter is like, I knew you'd be back. That's why I never killed her. And they fight. But in the end, he's like, you smell like the guy I'm after, but you ain't the guy I'm after because your style's different. I've memorized his style so much. And 
you ain't, you know, this isn't it. So I'm, I'm going to go off and I'm going to go find the spider. And in this, I'm like, this issue was just so weak to me because of the fact that it's like, we didn't stay on one thing at any point. It was just too much. Like where you were talking about the other time when you, you read Jonah Hex last week and you're like, oh, they throw, or the week before they throw all these characters at you. And, and it just, I'm like, that's what this issue was where I was like trying to keep up and nothing stuck as far as I was concerned. Okay, I'm with you. I get you. There was a lot in here. But it was some threads that we had before all coming to pass. And I think they would be a little bit better to spread these threads out a little bit. Like do some over in web and do some here. As opposed to doing not so many in web and all of them here. Right. I think they'd be a little bit more palpable, right? Right. But they wanted to get all these storylines in really quick because the story was going to end soon, Joe. Right, because it was only supposed to be four months mm-hmm. or six months or whatever the length of Age of Apocalypse was. Right. Um, of course, uh, we have them this uh, with Ben and the whole thing with Betty and Gabrielle. It's them attempting to, you know, with them building Ben's rogues gallery, supporting cast. It's like, oh, here's our Mary Jane and Gwen Stacy analog, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's the two girls that he has the affections for, and they're eventually going to find out about each other, and so on and so forth, right? Right. Uh, Grim Hunter does stuff in this, but like Grim Hunter, like from his first appearance, has proven himself to be a non-factor. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, more on him as we get to next week's offering, but the Kane stuff, okay? Right. We get the scene where we. Uh, Mary Jane is talking about the pain that she's feeling. Kane is walking the streets. Um, and he's talking about the pain that he's felt, the pain of isolation, the pain of rejection, my pain, a pain I freely transfer to others. Very curious words, right? Mm-hmm. So then we have the whole thing of like, here's Peter. He's laid out. He's poisoned to death by the vulture. We have Ben laying down and he is, uh, uh, having nightmares of, or he sleeps restfully for the first time in years. And then Cain neither sleeps nor dreams. He stands alone, wrapped in shadows of the night. Um, and it says, apart even as the dreams of Peter Parker and Ben Riley are headed on a collision course, dreams shared as if with one mind. <gasps> and, and then we get fragmented dreams and we get flashbacks to the clone coming out of the thing from the jackal and so forth. And, uh, and I'm not sure it can, uh, if Kane could read these same dreams, if he's feeling this, is this part of the flashbacks or flash forwards that he's seeing? All I'm going to say is I'm almost shocked that they were tipping their hands so flagrantly this <laughs> early into the storyline. Right, right. But and I forgot to mention, it was in my notes that Spider-Man isn't sleepy. He was poisoned by the vulture, right? Right. So, I was hoping he was sleepy. But the spider's so much <laughs> angst, like, tucking him out. You know yes. I mean? Like, oh, let's tuck Spider-Man in. He's all tuckered out. So any thoughts, any feelings on this whole Kane stuff? Um, now I know who Kane is. Who is Kane? Kane is a Peter something. Clone something. He's... Um, and I don't know how much I remembered from people telling me yeah. is, and how much I put together. Like, I'm not going to say I'm super sleuth. I do know now at some point that I was aware that Kane was Peter Parker, but it had, and when I say Peter Parker, a clone, a version, a something. 
Um, and I might be wrong yet. I don't know. This is what I'm remembering. And that the marks that he leaves are him putting his hand, using his suction pot to climb walls on people's faces. Okay. And that the visions he's having of Mary Jane's are his spider sense souped up to like a thousand. But I could be wrong. That's what more, I re- More will be revealed, Todd. More will okay. be revealed. All right. And then maybe it'll all be thrown out. So. <laughs> oh, God. But you know maybe, what I'm saying. Like I do know what you're saying. All right. So my Jonah Hex stuff, it, it flows a little bit easier, but I have questions, of course. Uh, they're not an ongoing direct narrative to be stretched out over the course of two and a half years. Uh, so, Todd, uh, in issue 10 of Jonah Hex, right? Mm-hmm. There's a podcast where we talk about comic books. And, of course, one day we'll have to put together our pet peeves of comic books like we've done of our pet peeves of com- of podcasting, where I, at least I have. Right. But if I was to put my list together of pet peeves of comic books, number one with a bullet would be reading accents. Number one A, specifically Cajun accents. What? I love a good Cajun accent. I'm all right with listening to a Cajun accent, but reading it sometimes gets a little tough. What? Uh, Art by Phil Noto is nice. uh, Brings a little bit more cleaner look to the book. Mm -hmm. Um, We have the whole thing where we start off with the I'm going to be nice and say possibly inbred family living out <laughs> in the boonies in the, uh, the the Cajun swamps there. Right. Feeding folks to the gators, something we've seen before, of course. Um, Jonah Hex riding into town, collected a bounty. A gentleman who is on his deathbed, maybe crawled himself there, uh, pleads with Jonah for assistance that his uh, wife and child were taken by the Lamont family. And he gives to Jonah a deed for a piece of land that he had in Oklahoma that his plan was to settle upon that land, right? Mm-hmm. Now, does it now, and this piece of land comes up because this is how Jonah is able to cash himself back into a game. That piece of land is moved around to some folks. Uh, is there any direct significance to this, or is this just something no. to say is this is how we did things back in the day? No, you're kind of misreading what happened in this issue. Mm, um basically the 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 black gentleman comes into town he's like they have my wife blah 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 and uh jonah goes yeah i just don't do stuff for free retribution comes at a price and he's like well i can give you this deed to the land and in the land he has it and he's playing the card game and they say he's like well i'm all tapped out they will do you have anything left and he pulls out the the deed and he looks at he's like I could play, like, I could use this as money. And he goes, no, I don't have anything. And he puts it back in his jacket. Okay, I I thought he had used it to continue in the game. My apologies. And he goes, and then he goes out, and he's leaving the town, and he runs past the deputy or the sheriff. He's not, he's a marshal. He's not a a sheriff. And he says, he's like, hey, what about those, you know, whack job people down, you know, on the bayou? And he's like, they're dangerous. I'm not going after them. And they like, well, they killed, they killed this black guy. And he's like, nobody cares. Like this is 1880. Whatever. And he's like, well, um, well, they could be dangerous. And Jonah basically goes around and says, well, why don't you put a bounty on them? And they're like, oh, so you'll take care of it. And he's like, yeah, because in my mind, like I said, he tells him about his wife who's still captured. Jonah has a thing for women in trouble and kids. And he ends up saying, yeah, you put the bounty up. 
I'll handle the problem. And that's when he goes off to the bayou to do his thing. So yeah, that's just, I just look at it. You just kind of mixed it up a little bit. Right. So again, I, I thought he had, but so coming back to that, does Jonah keep that land? No. Okay. That land is, and I'm not just not following the land. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, you jump to the end of the story. Right. He ends up saving the wife and he gives, and he gives it to her. That's right. He's like, here's your, this is your, he doesn't say it, but he's like, this is your right. This is your, your land. He's like, this ain't going to erase the memory, but here you go. Right. So we get, uh, Jonah showing up at the Lamont family's things and just wreaking havoc on them. Mm -hmm. They get the drop on him, of course, because they put up signs to trick people that come looking for them. They're going to feed Jonah to the gators. Jonah grabs the two parents of the group, throws them in. Um, And this, with the inbred family, with the feeding of the gators, with the woman in the house being kept in the box, Mm -hmm. this felt like the most issue of Preacher I've read since an issue of Preacher. Yeah, at the time, this was kind of had that vibe without the Vertigo title. And a lot of... um, a lot more of Jonah's dialogue in this felt very Saint of Killers-esque, more so than it usually does. V- this very Western dialogue in this, which yes. that's what Saint Saint of Killers always was in the in the issues. Right. Uh, so uh, again, we mentioned about this being the most most preacher uh, issue. Again, reminder: not comics code. People being chomped to death. People vomiting on camera. On camera, on panel, <laughs> just an all-out gross-out issue um, that maybe would have looked a lot more gross if it was in the hands of someone who isn't as beautiful as an artist as uh, Phil Noto. So beautiful. And I just want to say one thing. When he comes back after he's killed a couple of them and they're in the house and they're just going to party up, and there's that shot. And it, it gives me goosebumps when they're all like, yeah, we're going to you know, drink and do terrible things to this, this person. And Jonah creaks the door open and they just all look at him and the door shuts behind him and it's just word bubble screams. I get goosebumps reading that because you're just like, oh, you guys, you made a huge mistake. You know what I mean? And Noto is one of those guys that uh, in my Jonah Hex art collection, I need to get a commission from him. I know what I want. It's not Jonah, actually. That's coming up later. But uh yeah, I need I need to get in contact with him somehow because his art is actual is is some of the most beautiful on this run. Right. So outside of me getting a little confused on the deed, I enjoyed that issue. Again, yep. it felt like preacher. It felt like Jonah Hex and preacher. So I liked it. Mm-hmm. Issue eleven. Uh, we have El Diablo as our co-star right on the cover, and uh, Jonah has befall himself. Um, a freak show. And this uh, is, okay, so we're going to go all over the place a little bit here, and you're going to have to rein me back in as need be. So Jonah killed the head of the freak show because is this the same guy that was kidnapping kids all the way back in, like, issue one or two and, like, fighting it with dogs? Yes, this is the <clears throat> the people who were under his, two, like, care uh, back then. Because even one of them, he even says, he's like, you, you, he shot off one of my ears. And if you remember back in the first issue, he's like, he's like, you shot my ears. Like, if you don't shut up, I'm going to even them like a barber. Yeah. And that's, he even says that in this issue. 
So they get the jump on Jonah. They hang Jonah, leave him for dead. And I was going to collect uh, uh, the the show post images were going to be uh, times that Jonah was hung. Mm-hmm. But uh, I like the uh, different artists' interpretation of Jonah's ugly mug better. Mm-hmm. Uh, El Diablo, though, comes and saves him. And El Diablo is a Western character from the DC canon that I'm aware of, but I'm not very familiar with, if that makes right. any sense. Mm-hmm. But this issue does a very good job of explaining who he is. Uh, Jonah, after being saved by El Diablo, comes back to town looking for the freak show, but he's kind of beaten up. And uh, a friendly barkeep with a similar facial hairstyle to El Diablo kind of tells Jonah, like, hey, man, uh, maybe you should kind of, like, get that wound taken care of. Maybe you should get yourself cleaned up before you go and take on some folks, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Jonah and El Diablo have a uh, heart-to-heart discussion in regards to all this. Allows Jonah some time to get himself healed up so he can go seek his revenge on the folks that Dunn attempt to hang him. But before he gets the chance to, the Pearson gang shows up with ill intentions and very, very ill intentions implied. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is where the line is in this non-comics code book. A lot of implied doings by the Pearson's gang, uh, but not outright stating what they're up to. Right. Um, Jonah, though, along with El Diablo, saves these folks. And El Diablo is the one that kind of convinces Jonah, like, hey, listen, these, you know, these people were kind of like going to be taken care of by the Pearson gang. I know they did you wrong, but let's just kind of say this kind of evens itself out. Yep. Uh, there's a, uh, t- is it a tattooed lady who's a fortune teller sort of person? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, oh, why didn't you see this coming? Which is the thing that you say to every uh, fortune teller type person in the comic book. She gives Jonah his fortune and says that he will be in a museum and people will pay money to see him one day. Right. And uh, that is a prophecy that does come true. Is that correct? Right. That would have been in the, in the Bronze Age run. That that was mentioned. So, like, if you're in the know, you're in the know. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, But then we get another kind of discussion at the end um, with El Diablo and Jonah. And uh, and I really like this part. Like, the action stuff was good, but the heart-to-heart between these two very similar characters... Um, but very different characters because El Diablo, I guess, has a little bit more mysticism in him than Jonah does mm-hmm. with the line, I didn't ask to be the host of a vengeful spirit, which mm-hmm. is a line that's only said in comic books. <laughs> right. So is El Diablo here uh, being the host of a vengeful spirit like a precursor timeline wise to the specter? No, he's um. He's the Ghost Rider. He's the he's okay. basically he first appeared back in the seventies, and he predates um, Ghost Rider. But I don't know if he predates the 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 Wild Wild West Ghost Rider. But that's kind of what he is. And it was never really implied, if I can remember, because I didn't read too many El Diablo stories back in the back in the day. I really want to get more Western comics. Um, as we're talking about stuff we don't collect much anymore. Um, but it, it this was around the time that they kind of... He was more of a superhero masked uh, Avenger kind of a thing. Yeah. Who maybe came back from Shaman's Magic from the Dead. Where this, they're straight up saying he has a bit of a spirit of vengeance inside him. 
You know, like he's supernatural. Any other questions or did I, did I answer what you wanted? Yeah. So in part of their discussion as well, um, you know, obviously El Diablo being haunted by everything that's going on with this, um, you know, he hates killing, but obviously the spirit compels him to do so. And the line, uh, El Diablo says a man spends too much time thinking about, uh, what he's doing might find himself slow on the draw. Yep. Very poignant words from this book. Um, and and I do like I, this one of them. This had a lot of great, like also like preacher like moments. Um, wh- like K- saying a killer's kind of a thing. He's like, uh, he's like they're coming. He's like, yeah, they're here. And he's like, yeah, they're also. What, what's the line? He's like, oh my god, it's El Diablo. And he's like, yeah, and I'm Jonah Hex, and you boys are about six feet north of where you belong. And he just unloads on them. To me, that's like preacher dialogue. You know what I mean? Like the 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 kick-ass kind of western trope and i and i love it but then the el diablo stuff like earlier on in the book where he's like you know we're friends he's like don't 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 give me that he's like and he's like have you seen batlash lately and joan is like yeah and they go back and forth and it's kind of like this begrudging yeah like fun banter sparring yeah i love the whole back and forth between him and el diablo even more than the action in the book sometimes in this issue uh, yeah, so the dialogue of Jonah is getting a little bit more snappy, if you will. Mm-hmm. Right. And I love the art in this one, too. This is another one that just looked... Like, this is a murderer's row of, of looking artists on this book. Oh, yeah. Again, they, they get a lot of folks that are on the either come up or are just uh, super good. And this is someone, actually, who I've never heard of, and I had it in the notes for the post. So I apologize why I wait for the post to load here. For the guy's name? Yes. Um, the guy's name is uh, something Michael Beck, I think. He's another one. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. It's on the last page. I have the book in front of me because I keep these. Who needs those stupid Thunderbolts books when I have Jonah Hex books here? His name is David Michael Beck. There you go. And uh, I, I jokingly in my little post there... Um, before I read the issues and I put them together and I said, David Michael Beck seems to be channeling Eugene root more than anyone else with his uh, shot of Jonah. Right. Little did you know that it was little did I know how uh, preacher influenced these two issues were going to be, or was preacher influenced by Jonah hex. No, Jonah hex came later. I think. Yeah. These issues came after preacher. Uh, so, uh, next week we got one issue of Jonah hex and two issues of Spider-Man, right? Um, I don't have my list. I should open that when we do this. I believe so. I'm I'm kind of reaffirming my beliefs here. Uh, Jonah issue 12, and then Web of Spider-Man 121 and Spider-Man 55, which will be uh, wrapping up Web of whatever this is, the Ben Riley thing. And then week after that, and that would be the Peter Parker stuff that happened kind of analogous to this uh, right. Ben Riley stuff. You are right. It's uh, one issue of 12 for Jonah. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, hey, Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? We did from Rebecca's art. Um, she sent in a bunch of uh, Transformer sketches where it's like Optimus Prime and Shockwave. And I think it's uh, 
I forget the there was the female one from the movie. That's who it looks like. But I'm not 100% up on uh, what the Transformers look like by their headshots. So I definitely know that's Optimus and that's definitely Shockwave. The other two I'm not 100% sure on. But it's fun little, like, you know, what would you call them? Like, uh, like if you were doing roughs to do, like, what you kind of want to make sure that they match what you think they look like. That's what I gather this would be, you know? Uh, tests. Test run. Rough. The the Transformer you're thinking of, her name is RC. Okay. And I like that image. You see more RC. I see more just a, a Transformer with a goofy anime eyes. Okay. Still very nice stuff, as always. Uh, Transformers yep. are tough to draw with all their angular detail. So kudos to you, Rebecca. Those look very nice. Uh, while we're talking about other stuff, of course, we mentioned a few times over the course of the show, Patreon, of course, previewing the past, listen to my obsession on Furl on a monthly basis, uh, as we discuss 30 years ago this month in the previous catalog to see what the world of comic books and other sundry things look like, as well as six never before seen movies uh, this week at the $5 level, folks will be hearing Todd and I discuss a movie I've never seen before in Highlander. Uh, anyone at under $5, of course, you have access to the most recent um, six never-before-seen movies, which kicked everything off, which was Todd and I watching the 1990 summer smash film Dick Tracy. <laughs> smash something on me. <laughs> Uh, you can head over to our store and purchase shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on them. Uh, you can head over to our Tee Public store next week when everything is on sale for 35% off. But you could also make any and all of your purchases through the Amazon banner at the top of longboxheroes.com. They call it an advertising fee. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy at the end of the month when he gets his cut of the money. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week include uh, something entitled the Masterpieces 12-piece, 12-pack uh, bundle puzzle collection. Uh, somebody purchased a boatload of Hershey's milk chocolate hot cocoa mix. Uh, somebody also purchased something called the Best Chess Set Ever. And uh, I know the, I know like the, the fishbone of chess, you know, right. I know what all the pieces do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Never um, really played. Huh? Never really played. Kind no, of deal? no, 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 never. I never really played. Um, I would get destroyed by anyone who even had like a, um, if you have a strategy, not even a good strategy, but even if you just say, oh, I have to move this piece here for my my strategy, like, well, the game's over. I don't know what you're doing, and uh, I'm out. <laughs> right. I but I know what all the pieces do. I know what all the pieces' names are. I know how they move. Right. Let's start. And uh, somebody also purchased an errant mesh rhinestone body chain set. Uh... Silver Beast, Chest Belly Chains, Crystal Bikini, Nightclub, Party Bra, Rave Body Jewelry for Women and Girls. Nice. I I don't know where you're wearing that because it's cold everywhere. Mm, not in Texas. It is cold in Texas. Yeah. 
Oh, you're saying not? They're not wearing it in Texas. Definitely not in Texas, right? Okay, now. or not anywhere, or anywhere else in the in the known world, right? Uh, so thank you for any and all the purchases. Thanks to everyone who recently subscribed over the last week to the Patreon. I hope you're enjoying stuff. We really do our best to make those bonus shows worth your while, whether you're at the dollar level, the $5 level, or any place in between. Uh, be sure to check out our two totally serious options over the Patreon as well uh, to get Raven, a.k.a. Uh, Sad Scotty Flamingo, a.k.a. Good Place Hall of Famer. <laughs> uh to record a cameo of some kind for the open of the show or the Rob himself. I know there might've been some um, allegedly disparaging remarks about the Rob earlier in this episode. Uh, peace and love, peace and love. Anything sent after this date will be tossed. So I think that's the main part of the show, Don, huh? Yeah, I think so. All right. So uh, we are going to take a brief break while we start getting into spoiler filled discussion of Episode 6 of WandaVision. And it's mostly just so I could turn to my notes. See, because I try to keep all the notes for WandaVision in one spot, you know? Right. But after this, ep- after this episode, I might be running out of space. Well, you get another notebook, Joe. Well, it's kind of like uh, episodes like uh, 1, 2, 3 were on a page... Oh, I see what you're saying. You're, yeah, yeah. You keep them together in a notebook. You know, gotcha. And uh, so, okay, let's uh, let's kind of start into it. It's uh, an all new Halloween spooktacular. <laughs> very '90s. Very '90s opening is very Malcolm in the Middle esque, uh, with the boys, uh, Billy and Tommy, of course, having interactions. With Wanda's slacker, lazy brother has come to crash with them, which was the big spoiler from the previous episode, uh, where Quicksilver shows up, but he's not played by Quicksilver from the Avengers movies. He's played by Quicksilver from the X-Men movies. Right. Uh, So we get... um, uh, So right off the rip, it's Halloween. Uh, Billy is showing off his costume, and Billy's costume is just straight-up Wiccan from Young Avengers. I didn't notice that. No, I'm kidding. That's fantastic. I was I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is where we're going with this, huh? Mm-hmm. Um, then everybody else shows off their costumes. Wanda comes down in the classic Scarlet Witch costume. No, no. It's a Slokovian fortune teller's costume, Todd. Right. And the Vision comes out in a slapdash together approximation with whatever we got around the house version of his costume or a Mexican wrestler, Todd. And this is the first time WandaVision was terrible. Oh, come on now. It, no, it looked, the costume looked great because it was the Vision costume, but mentioning that dirty word in my WandaVision. Uh, so Quicksilver then goes and uh, so Vision can't go trick-or-treating. Because he is on Neighborhood Watch Patrol. Breaking the script. And Wanda's like, oh, well, we need someone else to come with the kids. Uh, Quicksilver goes, and he and uh, Tommy go run out, and they both get Quicksilver costumes with the funky hair. And, you know, Tommy is the Quicksilver analog in Young Avengers as well, even though his outfit's more green than silver. But, you know, it's like his name is so it rhymes. Right, his name is Speed in the comics, right? Yeah. Okay. 
So while all this is going on, of course, we have the sword folks outside watching everything go on. And uh, uh, Billy Wu or Jimmy Wu, right. Darcy and Monica all get kicked out by uh what's his face the guy who's in charge of the sword things right who's just who instantly got heat on him when he started talking bad about monica's mom he's like because he that was his whole plan was he's like yep you know like you i'm glad your mother isn't here to see what you've become blah 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 and she goes nuts and he's like ah that's my that's my that's my uh permission to have you thrown out that's all i needed was a reason have a nice day the three of you he's kind of always been a jerk right but like this, like this last episode and this episode is like they've really ramped up his jerkiness, you know? Right. So they go to get kicked out, but of course they kind of hide their way and stick on the base and end up disguising themselves because they want to get to what? Where the computers are? What's the guy's name? Uh, Hay- Director Haywood's computers are to hack in to see what his plan is. Right. Because he had something up going on. Mm-hmm. So while he's got this going on, uh, Wanda, the kids, and Quicksilver together. Kids want to go off exploring, doing the trick or treating thing, and she gives them. She reiterates to them the express dis- instructions: they're not allowed to go past Ellis Street. Right. So they're off. Uh, this gives. Uh, Quicksilver the opportunity to question Wanda about what's going on. Mm-hmm. He knows something's up. He knows he's not the version of her brother that he thinks he is. He even says, I was doing this one minute, I got shot, and the next thing I know, I'm here with you. Right. And he asks her how all this is happening. And she pretty much says, I don't know. She says, I kind of wished for this to happen, and it just kind of is happening. Mm-hmm. So it kind of leads us to believe that there's maybe another power in play here. Right. And while this is going on, we see Vision walking further and further away from the middle of town. And everyone outside the middle of t- out the further you get from the middle of town, the closer you get to Ellis Street, the less people are moving. Moving mm-hmm. real slow-like, almost like, as Todd said at the top of the show, like a slow block of ice. Right. There's a woman specifically who's hanging Halloween decorations in slow motion while tears are running down her face. That was a tough scene. That was a tough scene. Yes, I, I, as stupid as it was, because she was like reverting. She was going like she was trying to hook the the the, the, the decoration, then her hand would go back, and as that tear rolled out, that you like you've wh- whoever shot that, yeah, definitely got a sense of like just hopelessness and you know pain. It, it, that was a good shot. Now, during all of this, we also get our commercial break uh, for the Yo Magic uh, (laughs) yogurt commercial. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. Okay. Just want to remind everyone we're going to come back to that. We didn't forget about it. Now, as the vision is going out, and interrupt me anytime that you want to chime in with anything, right? No, I got you. I've been just, I've been coasting along here. So as vision is further approaching the edge of town, further approaching Ellis Street, uh, he comes upon Agnes, who maybe was playing a little bit heavier part in everything that was going on. 
She's just kind of sitting at the light there, or sitting at the intersection in her car, kind of not moving. Mm -hmm. And she says she maybe took a wrong turn. Maybe Mm -hmm. she got a little bit lost. Maybe she don't know where she's going. And just like in the previous episode, where uh, Vision touches the dude and kind of frees them of what's going on. Right. Under the spell, he does the same to Agnes, and Agnes gets all freaked out again. She doesn't know what's going on. She's lost. She wants this to stop. She's in pain. Mm-hmm. And now the vision is figuring more of this out. Right. And she's basically drops the news onto him that he's dead. Right. She's she, like, she, she's he's like, like, you're, you're the vision. You're an Avenger. Why are you here? And he goes, well, what do you mean? Why am I here? And she's like, you're dead. And then on top of that, he's like, what's an Avenger? Right. So, cause he's had his mind completely wiped. And this is how we, I guess, kind of learn a little bit of that. Like, maybe we knew that information was in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, this kind of cements the fact that it's not. Right. So, Vision attempts to go outside of town. Um, and he makes his way through the hex. And as he does, he starts to get almost ripped apart. Right. He changes from the costume that he's wearing, which is the low-rent version of the original Vision costume, to what he looks like normally, what he looked like in the Avengers movies. And it's almost as though the bubble is pulling him back in piece by piece. Mm-hmm. What would you say is going on there? I would say he's falling apart, and then the hex is... Like, I, don't, I don't know what that is. Does it seem to be pulling bits and pieces of him? almost like the blip kind of a thing. Yeah. But I wasn't sure because he, like how, uh, what, uh, Scarlet Witch is doing this because did he, she put him back together or is he in pieces and this is magic. So I don't know if he was falling apart to the pieces that he already was. There's something weird going on there. So. Right. So with that being said as well, um, we check back in with, uh, Monica and all those folks and Monica has already been through twice. Right. And we find out that the two times that she's been through, it's essentially changed her cells on right. a molecular level twice. And who and knows know what... what it'll do a third time if she tries to go through. Right. And so they decide that they're going to go get help. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Woo and Monica and Darcy's like, I have to stay here. I have to crack this final wall and find out what it is. And then she sees vision coming out and she's like, she runs out. You have to help him. You have to help him. Like, can't you see it's destroying him? And they're like, no, you're a prisoner now in the handcuff or to the, to the Humvee. You know what I mean? While Monica and Jimmy Woo are leaving to, like with the hex behind them going to get some sort of scientist, please let it be Reed Richards. But anyway, so with this happening and they handcuffing her to the Jeep, Wanda, through the boys, gets word that the Vision is in trouble. Mm-hmm. So she's in the middle of town. She can't get there that quickly. So what she decides to do is just extend the bubble further, the hex further. To encapsulate the Vision where he is outside of the hex, but also all of the sword people that are outside of it as well. And as the hex expands they become more and more of whatever is inside there. And they essentially become a traveling circus. Right. They, to her, they become a bunch of clowns. Right. And while that's happening, the head guy gets away. He outruns the hex, doesn't he? Yes. 
And so does Jimmy Woo and Monica, I believe. Right. But Kat Denning's character is inside of it because she was right. handcuffed to a thing that got pulled through. Right. Now she's in her favorite show. And we'll see how that goes in the next episode. Right. couple things before we go a little bit further. Um, I do like the fact that with Quicksilver, um, he's talking about stuff. And like he even says, where did you keep all these kids and everything? I'm starting to believe Quicksilver isn't Quicksilver. That's all I'm going to say. Mm, interesting. Right. Because you think he knows that he's not the Quicksilver? I don't think he does. He, that's what he was implying. Because when he says, I was like, he's like, one minute I'm running in the street and then I'm shot dead in the dirt. That was our Quicksilver from the Marvel movies. And he goes, and the next I heard you calling me. So I came. Um, so like, he never says that I, that I'm different or anything. I, I think I could be wrong, but he says a lot of stuff. I think he's, and I will give credit to Josh for this, uh, for this thing. He goes, I think the whole thing of getting the actor who played the other Quicksilver to come in is a big red herring is Mm -hmm. a huge red herring. And I'm starting to believe it. I give him all this credit. I believe he's whoever's involved with all this. And I believe he may be the mystical creature who's boosting uh, Wanda's powers. Interesting. It's it's more for us to, because they never say he's the one from the other universe, but our minds tell us that. So we're doing something without them ever telling us. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yes. Making him a character without ever going, no, they, they definitely said that. So I'm thinking Mephisto, but. That's what everyone's thinking. Right. That I, I will also say is not my, that's what a lot of other people are saying. Okay. So I like this episode. I've been liking mm-hmm. the show the whole time. I really like this episode and I will say Scarlet Witch looks good in her classic costume. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, been the consensus of a lot of people as well. Right. Looks yeah. good. Uh, I really like Paul Bettany in this, you know, he's, uh, uh, an actor that, uh, maybe I didn't know much about, but, uh, I'm enjoying what he's doing here. I always liked him, but I think he's now other than being the sitcom foil, he's getting, he's getting to, he's getting to exercise his acting chops in this mm-hmm. now. Because, you know, he's not, he's realizing something's wrong. So you want to head on to the Yo Magic? Okay, so let's head on to the Yo Magic and let's head on to the commercials as well, right? Mm -hmm. So a friend of mine, uh, Gavin Jasper, who I know back from uh, my wrestling days, uh, he writes for a website called Dead of Geek, and I check out his stuff. A lot of times his stuff is video game related. And the video game stuff that he writes about is he's a big fighting game guy. And he did a piece that I really enjoyed a couple of years ago where he like he ranked all of the uh, fatalities in the Mortal Kombat games. And like, <laughs> oh, that's a nostalgia button that hits for me. Um, but he wrote an article uh, saying that here with the episode six commercial, he has a theory of what these uh, commercials are supposed to represent. And I'll put a link to his article in the show notes with this episode. Um, But he essentially speculates that the commercials have all been parallels to each representing one of the different Infinity Stones. Gems. We're talking about the movies, so the stones. Gems. But anyway, go ahead. Um, So he... 
uh, what it so obviously there's a lot so i missed um i guess there was the quicker picker upper one about the uh paper towels right we called did lagos which yeah. was uh the name of the town or the city or whatever it was where wanda destroyed during civil war yes so you know it, it, there's all the discussions there of uh the hydra backstory um where am i going with all this that each commercial represents, right? Yes, yes. Um, and they're all parallels to different things that the the Stones did in the movies. Um, like so, okay. Uh, he says that the uh, toaster commercial visions head with the way that it looks, um, which is the Mind Stone, the watch, of course, the time, the Time Stone. In the Hydra Soak soap commercial, the soap looks like the Tesseract. Mm-hmm. And uh, the paper towels in the Lagos one, uh, wiping up a red liquid, which he mentions that the Reality Stone's base form is that red liquid that we saw in the Thor movies. Uh, and then this one, of course, the kid, he's trying to open up the thing of yogurt, and he ends up dying and just becoming like a skeleton uh, on an island by himself, reminiscent of Red Skull with the Soul Stone. Right. And then he says that the next one he feels will be very Power Stone related. And if it is, then his theory will be correct. Right. Uh, I like what... this theory. I don't think I've ever seen, I don't think I've seen anyone else float this theory. I, I didn't. I didn't. And then once you sent me this article, I look like I went around looking online. Yeah. And I, I think I, I've seen, unless it was in this article, because I get confused, that maybe something with the infinity uh, gems being busted up and destroyed and turned into dust. Like, I don't know if maybe she inhaled something. You know what I mean? Like, as an essence of the powers. And that's what's doing this, but yeah, I've not seen anything with the with the Infinity stuff before this article. So it's a good. It's, I, I think it's a good theory. I'm all for it. Yep. So yeah, I'll uh, include that article. He goes into a little bit more uh, explanations of those sort of things, and uh, like I said, go check out. Uh, you know, Gavin's writings over there. He's a good follow on uh, Twitter as well. Mm-hmm. So that's it. I'm excited for the next uh, episode, you know? I am too. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's anything else for us to cover at this point, right? I think that's everything. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to episode 542, Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying thanks for listening. And we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Boop! You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini. (laughs) of Podcast Network.